If you have your Bibles, please open them to Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. That's, it's not that many verses, but there are two huge, huge topics that we're going to try to talk about, two huge truths in this short time. So if we don't get through it all, or if you have questions, if you want to talk about it, you can reach out to me or Pastor John. But before we get into our text, I want to give you a little context of what happened so far. The author Paul essentially says that if mankind were to stand before God the judge, mankind would be judged guilty because of their sins, because of their unrighteousness, because of their ungodliness. They deserve God's wrath. That's what Paul says. If we were judged according to our works, according to what we did and what we do, we would be guilty according to God's law. That's the very bad predicament and place we are in. And one day we will stand before God. And so that's why Paul in the previous chapter says, none is righteous no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. And then, but that's not all Paul writes. Paul also writes of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, but there is one and only one. When he stands before God, he is perfectly righteous, blameless, sinless, innocent he has never sinned or fallen short of the glory of god and his name is jesus christ god's son and so paul says the gospel is that jesus righteousness is counted to sinners and the sin of sinners is counted to jesus if only they would believe in him if only they would believe him and this is why jesus was condemned as a sinner, as a transgressor, as guilty, as a criminal, as an offender, as a rebel against God, although he was innocent. Since we cannot be justified through works, God made a way for us to be justified through faith in him. Through faith, believe and be justified. And this is the gospel of Jesus that God gave for sinners who can't save themselves, no matter how diligently we may work. Our works are not good enough, so he made a way through faith. And this is what Paul talks about in the previous chapters, and this is the context before we get into our text today. And you can imagine, you can hear some of the Jewish Christians or some of the Jews at Rome listening to this, reading this, and he says, Paul, that's what you believe about your God, your little G God, your fake God. But that's not the God of Abraham. That's not the true and only God. And you're going to see it in our text today. And Paul says, this is the God of Abraham. This is who I'm talking about. He is the God of grace, God of patience, the God who justified Abraham through faith and not works. 
And that's what we're going to talk about today, two things, justification and circumcision, the sign of the covenant. Before we read our text today, let's pray to God and ask for his help and blessing. Father in heaven, um, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for being who you are and doing everything you have done and everything that you do and everything that you will do. Um, Father, we, we all here, uh, no matter who we are, um, desperately need to hear the good news of your son. We need to, we need to fix our eyes upon you. Um, we need a hope that does not fail. Would you help us by the Holy Spirit just to understand the depth of the good news you have given and to come to love, to recommit ourselves to you, for there is no one like you. And there is no one that we confess we want to have as our ultimate being, our ultimate priority, and yet we fail, so please help us with your word. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, I want to remind you that this is the word of God. Hear now his word. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. But what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Um, even today, the major monotheistic religions claim their history of the faith back to Abraham. And, and they di differ over what Abraham really believed. You got Judaism, the Jews, you got Islam, Muslims, and you got Christianity, Christians. So Abraham is super important to one's worldview. What was Abraham all about? Because if we know what Abraham was all about, then we know what we ought to be all about, what we should defend 
what we should fight for, what should be our priority in our lives and in our hearts. Because if Abraham didn't care about it, it must not have been a priority. What was Abraham about? And the question today, we're going to talk about two things, justification and circumcision. But was Abraham justified before God through works? Or was Abraham justified before God through faith? Did, God, did Abraham produce enough good works to be pleasing in the sight of God? Did he work hard enough so that he can be pleasing before God, so that he can be righteous before God? Or was Abraham righteous simply because he believed in him? And you think about all the religions today and even the monotheistic religions today, you got to be a good person to be righteous before God. You got to do that. You got to work hard. So this is an important question. And if you look at verse 2, Paul says, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Before God, he has nothing to boast about. He is not justified by his works. This is God Almighty, and Abraham is ungodly as well. Abraham's a sinner. How can he be justified through works? And then Paul says in verse 3, but what does scripture say? Um, I like that because he basically, it's like Paul saying to his um, listeners or readers, he's saying, I don't, I don't want to tell you what I think. I don't want to mislead you with just my thoughts. What, what does God say? Let me, let me show you what God says. What does scripture say? I want you to know the truth. For what does scripture say? And then Paul quotes Genesis 15, verse 6, and he says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was righteous. Abraham was justified. How? Through faith in God. Through believing in God and not through works. Abraham was justified through faith. And that's why we see in verses 4 to 5, Paul says, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. For what does scripture say? The scripture does not say Abraham worked for God and it was due to him as righteousness. That's not what scripture says. It says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed in the God who justifies the ungodly. So there's two questions we might have. What does it mean that righteousness was counted to Abraham? And the second question is, how does God, according to verse 5, justify the ungodly without being ungodly himself? How is that fair? Is this justice? And then Paul says in verses 6, 7, and 8, and it's up there, but... In essence, 
Paul talks about Jesus Christ. He's been talking about Jesus in the previous chapter. He talks about Jesus at the end of this chapter, and he uses this quote from the Old Testament. Paul knows his Bible, and he says essentially in verse 6, God counts righteousness to the believer in context, to the person who has faith, apart from works. God counts righteousness apart from works, and in context, he counts righteousness through faith. And then verses 7 through 8, he says, not only does God do that, but God does not count the sin to that man or to that woman. He does not count the sin to that person. So what happens? And Paul's been talking about it the whole time. He says, essentially, all believers, any sinner who believes in God, all believers, their sin is not counted to them, but is counted to another, Jesus Christ. And the righteousness of Jesus is not counted to him, but is counted to all believers. So that when they both stand before God, all believers, because of the righteousness of Christ, are justified. Declared righteous, perfect. But Jesus Christ, when he stands before God, is condemned because of the sins of the believers. He is a criminal. He is a sinner. He is a transgressor. He is a rebel. He is an offender. And this is why Jesus was crucified between two criminals, horrifically he endured the wrath of God Almighty. Because according to our works, we cannot be justified before God. But God, out of his mere pleasure, decided to give us grace and said, don't work for it. Let me do all the work for you. Just believe in me. And the righteousness of my son will be counted to you. This is the gospel. This is the God of Abraham. Isn't this amazing? This is why we describe the gospel as amazing grace. We didn't deserve it at all. We could not earn it even if we tried. But God has done it for us. What do we give to God? Nothing. What did God give to us? Everything. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was justified through faith and not through works. So if you're here today, uh, maybe you're a Christian. This is what Abraham was all about, God and his good news. Abraham was not all about striving to please God, but he knew he pleased God already because he believed in the God who is that good. That's what Abraham was about. This is what he lived for. This is what he died for. This was what his priority was. This is probably what he taught his family, the God who justifies the ungodly. 
the gracious God, the God of grace and peace and patience. This is what he was about. He wasn't about all these other things. Maybe he talked about him, but it was not the ultimate priority. This should be our priority, the gospel and God. If you're not a Christian, um, if you're one of those major monotheistic religions, this is what Abraham was about. And if you're not a Christian, God is not demanding from you righteousness because you're not righteous anyway. God is offering to you the righteousness of his only begotten son that you can receive by believing him through faith. This is what he offers you. Would you believe in him today? Today. And maybe you're persistent in saying, I don't believe in God. God does not exist. My question is, do you hope that you're wrong? Do you hope to be wrong? Do you hope that what God says here is true? That there is something more to life than now? That there is an everlasting life? Do you hope that there is a God so loving that he would crucify your sins along with his son and a God so holy and just that he would crucify his son along with your sins? Do you hope for that? Because he's true. This is the God of Abraham. Believe in him. And Christians continue to believe in him. Don't make works your priority. Make believing in God, the God who does all things, your priority and the gospel he has given. But that's not all the questions um, that the Jewish Christians might have. In fact, Paul anticipates it and he asks two questions in verses 9 to 10. He says, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Paul, what you're saying, sure, that sounds good. That sounds good. But Abraham was circumcised. What was the point of that? Maybe, maybe yeah, God counted righteousness to Abraham, but he probably counted it believing until he got circumcised. He probably counted it when Abraham actually produced some works. Didn't he do that? Isn't that how it was counted to him? Not just faith, but faith plus circumcision. And Paul's answer at the second half of verse 10 is, it was not after, but before he was circumcised. God counted righteousness to Abraham, not after he got circumcised, not after Abraham did something, but before he got circumcised. Abraham was not justified through faith plus works. Abraham was justified through faith alone. Abraham was not justified through faith plus circumcision. Abraham was justified through faith alone. 
it was not it was not after but before he was circumcised abraham abraham's justification was not put on hold until he got circumcised abraham was justified the moment he believed way before he was circumcised isn't that good news if you're a christian today that's great news because what God is saying is you're justified. You are declared righteous in his sight by the righteousness of Christ the moment you believe. Not on, not, it's not you're justified when you produce some good works. It's not when you're justified by faith plus works. You're justified the moment you believe. You are righteous before God so that your justification doesn't hang upon your works. It hangs upon Christ's works alone. Why is this good news? It's good news because in your life, there's going to be some time when your faith shakes, when your works tempt you to believe otherwise, when you feel that you are so unrighteous before God, but God says it doesn't matter because you were righteous the moment you believed, and that cannot be undone. Keep believing in me. It was not after, but before he was circumcised. And you, you can imagine the Jews hearing this like, Paul, okay, that sounds good. I mean, chronologically, that's what scripture says. I agree with you. But what was the point then? What was the point of circumcision? Why did he do it if he was justified before? What was the point? What's the purpose? And then Paul says in verse 11, he received a sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believed without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. There's a lot in this one verse. But there's at least two things that circumcision is. One of it is circumcision is a sign. It's a sign. And we, we know what signs are intuitively. We see signs everywhere. Like if you see a restroom sign that points you to the rest, where the restroom is, the sign is not the restroom itself. It would be silly if you mistake the sign for the reality, right? You go to the restroom. You go to where the sign points you. A sign is something that points beyond itself to the reality. That's what sign is. And Paul is saying circumcision was a sign. Think about the wedding ring, right? When people get married. The ring is not the marriage itself. The ring is a sign. What is it a sign of? It's the sign of the covenant between a man and a woman. It's a sign of their marriage. It points them to the reality of their covenant together. I am yours and you are mine. That's what their wedding ring points to. It's a sign. But it would be silly, it would be foolish if a woman said to a man, I want to marry you for that ring alone. That's what marriage is to me, that ring. She doesn't care about the man. She cares about the ring. That's not marriage. Marriage is what the ring 
points to, what the sign points to, the covenant between each other. I am yours and you are mine. And Paul says circumcision is a sign. It is a sign. What is it a sign of, Paul? And he knows his Bible. If you look at Genesis chapter 17, Paul says that circumcision is the sign of the covenant God made with man. It's the sign of God saying to Abraham, I am yours and you are mine. That's what circumcision is. I am yours and you are mine. When was he circumcised? After righteousness was counted to him. Why is that so important? Think about that. Why did God give Abraham a sign? Why did he give it afterwards? Wasn't Abraham justified already? He was. But why did God give him the sign? And if you think about circumcision, it's painful. It's the cutting off of the foreskin of the male's private area. It is a very permanent sign. Why did God give that to Abraham? So that in any moment in Abraham's life, anytime someone tells him otherwise, Anytime he thinks otherwise, he would look at the sign and see that God says to him, I am yours and you are mine. How permanent was that sign? It was permanent. I will engrave it upon your body. I am yours and you are mine. Nothing can change that. How often do you think Abraham saw that sign? as often as he went to the restroom. Permanent. A constant sign, a constant reminder of God's covenant with him. I am yours and you are mine. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter how horrible works you have committed or good works you have committed. I am yours and you are mine. It is permanent. That's what circumcision was, a sign. But here's the crazy thing. If you read your Old Testament, circumcision wasn't only a sign for Abraham. God says, not only you, but to your children as well. Eight-day-year-old male infants, circumcise them as well. Wait, what? Why? I mean, they're infants. They don't... They don't know if they believe in you, God. I don't know if they have the intellectual capacity to do that. Why do I have to to circumcise them? They don't believe in you. They don't even know you. They don't even know me yet. Why do I circumcise them? And Sinclair Ferguson said it this way. Because what circumcision means to you, Abraham, it means exactly the same thing for them. It's not that they're regenerate. It's not that they have faith in me. But it's a sign of my covenant to them. I am theirs and they are mine. But, but what's the point? 
They're not going to understand the value of it, but they will one day. And if their parents do the duty of teaching them who they are, they're going to ask one day, why do I have, what is this? What is the sign? Their parents are going to teach them. They're going to learn. God, since when you were an infant, claimed that you are his and he is yours. All that's required of you is to believe in him. Think about that for an infant. Maybe he grows up one day. Maybe he's like the prodigal son. Maybe he rebels against his parents, against God. But how permanent is that sign upon him? That sign will always say, come back to me. I am yours and you are mine. And that was the sign in the Old Testament. What sign did God give us in the New Testament? For the new covenant made in Jesus' blood, baptism. That's our sign. That's God's way of saying, I am yours and you are mine. Um, If you're believing parents and you have not baptized your children um, and you're trying to discern what God wills for you. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. Discern what God wills for you. And if we, me and Pastor John can be of any help to you, discerning truth, if we can just give you some scriptures, we would love to help you. But how beneficial it would be for your son or daughter to have that sign upon him or her. And if you are Christians, adults who have not, professing Christians who have not been baptized, how beneficial it would be for you. That sign, it's not necessarily for God, it's for us so that we can know, so that we can always be pointed to him when we're tempted to look at ourselves. Um, Another way of saying this is, and this is Sinclair Ferguson, he said, how important is the sign? Imagine a wife who just lost her wedding ring. And you can see how devastated she'd be without that sign. The sign is super important. What else is circumcision? According to verse 11, it says, it's a seal. Circumcision as a seal. What's a seal? A seal is something which authenticates. Think about a king. Kings back in the day, they have a signet ring. And they would stamp their signet ring on melted wax to seal a letter. The wax by itself does not authenticate anything, but that signet ring, wax upon the letter, signifies something. What does it say? It says, this letter is from the king. Or it says, this letter is approved by the king. The king authenticates it, confirms it, seals it. That's what a seal does. And Paul says circumcision is a seal. It's God's authentication. Authentication of what? The Bible verse does not say seal of the faith Abraham had. God doesn't say, Abraham, oh, you believe in me. Your faith is real. I put a seal upon you. It's real. He doesn't doesn't do that. It says, 
It's a seal of the righteousness that Abraham had by faith. The righteousness. Another, in other words, it's as God, it's, it's as if God is saying to Abraham, you are justified through faith. Believe in me and you're justified. And he believes he's justified. And he says, and on top of that, I'll give you a seal of my righteousness towards you. I'll give it to you. Again, why? So you have some authenticity, a real sign, a real seal that says that righteousness will never be taken away from you. This is the letter from God Almighty. Righteousness is yours. It is yours. God didn't need to do that. God could have just, Sinclair says it, God could have just said it. Isn't that enough? Isn't his, aren't his words enough? But God doesn't do that. God gives his words, God gives a sign, and God gives his seal so that you may be pointed to him. You may remember the promise he given you, the righteousness that is already yours through faith, Christ's righteousness, that you can see that that you can believe that. And if anyone around you even tempts you to believe otherwise, you say, look at this seal upon me. I have been baptized. God has approved. And again, this is why it's so important to be baptized. A sign and a seal. See, in all these things, justification through faith, circumcision, the sign of the Old Testament covenant, baptism, the sign of the new covenant, and all these things. It's all about God. It's not about how good we ought to be. It's about how God is already. God did what we could not do. And, on and so that he justified us through faith. And on top of that, he said, you know what? Not only justification, I'm going to help you. I'll give you a sign and a seal. I'm going to give you a wedding ring. If the wedding ring is a sign, it's as if God sealed it by putting his initials upon it and saying, this is real. My covenant is real. If you ever forget, look at the ring. Look at it. Sign and seal. And what's the New Testament? Sign and seal? Baptism. Man. God, why? Why, God, would you do that for us? What do we do to what do we do for you? Nothing. This is the God of Abraham. This is who he's always been. The God of patience. The God of grace. The God who justifies the ungodly through faith and gives them a sign and seal. So what's the application? I think there are several, but one is definitely we ought to be what Abraham is all about, which is God and his gospel, the gospel of grace. He's, he's not like any God out there, any religion out there. All of them work, work hard, be pleasing for me. God says, I will do all the work 
for you. I know you can't. I'll do it for you. So believing, that's a priority. Believing in him. That's what our conversations should entail, right? When you have a non-believer, yes, maybe we can talk about some things, but do you know about the God who justifies the ungodly? That's what Abraham's about. That's what Christians ought to be all about. We don't bicker and argue about all these non-essential things. We talk about a person's eternal status before God. What can be more important than that? That's one, believing in God. If you're not a Christian, the application is clear. Believe in God. God wants to offer you a righteousness that you do not have. God wants to welcome you into his fold. God wants you to be righteous before him for all eternity. What's the second application? Baptism. If your parents consider baptism for your children, pursue the truth. If you're adults professing Christians, get baptized. What is, what is causing you to hesitate when God just wants to help you and say, you are, here's a sign and a seal of my covenant towards you. This is who God is. This is the God of Abraham. He is not like any other God. Perfectly gracious, perfectly patient, perfectly kind, does everything all by himself so that no man can boast before him. If we were to boast, our only boast is in him alone. Justification through faith and not works and a sign of God's covenant and a seal of God's covenant towards you who believe. Let's be thankful for him. And let's tell of him. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, how we often thought wrongly of you, how we often thought that we can't produce enough good works to be pleasing before you. We try and we try and we try and we fail and we fail and we fail. And we think that our justification is contingent upon our good works. But that's not who you are. You are the God who justified us through faith alone already, right then and there. You have already bought salvation for us you have made a way through jesus christ thousands of years ago you did all the work and all the glory belongs to you and if that were not enough you gave us a sign and seal so that we may always remember so that we may be anchored in truth in times of our wavering god there is no one like you and we praise you we thank you May we continue to have you and your gospel as the priority of our lives and the priority of our hearts. May we extend the love and the grace that you have given us freely to others. And Father, would you help us to believe this gospel? For sometimes our faith is weak, but even then, your sign is permanent. We love you. We praise you. Thank you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.